Hey, if you're listening to this, thanks for stopping by. My name is Jared, and I run the More Than Blockchain podcast. Now, before the podcast rebranded its name to More Than Blockchain, it was entitled Wi-Fi and Water. And so this episode was originally recorded under the podcast's original name. Episodes 1 through 13 were recorded under the name Wi-Fi and Water. And so if you're hearing this, that's why. Please enjoy the episode, and thanks for checking out the More Than Blockchain podcast. Web3. What is it? According to Google, it's also known as Web3.0 and is an idea for a version of the internet that is decentralized and based on peer-to-peer technologies such as public blockchains. What does this mean? Well, it means it's going to be a digital ecosystem without any one centralizing body, like a Facebook, for example, where people can exchange value directly without need of a third-party platform or digital bridge. And today's guest, Nick Widmer, is dedicating more and more time to studying, analyzing, engaging in, and then writing about Web3. And as Nick says in this episode, Web3 is kind of already here, as we now use tech to work, go to school, see our doctors, order our groceries, keep up with friends from across the globe, and even make new ones. I'm Jarrett Carpenter, and this is Wi-Fi and Water. Nick, welcome to Wi-Fi and Water. How are you? I'm good, Jarrett. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. So we met through, I guess, a centralized social media site. I guess we could call it that, which is a LinkedIn. Web2 site. Yeah, exactly. A Web2 site. And I read something that you would put up. Somebody liked it that was in my network. And I was like, oh, wow, this guy, I love what he's saying. And it was actually the article that you had put on your Substack, and maybe you can shout that out at the end when people sure. you know, to give people a place to go check some more of your your stuff out. But it was called "Horseless Carriages Are Worth Understanding" on fear yeah. and innovation. And I read that, and I was like, "Wow, this is exactly how I'm starting to see things. How I think a lot of people in our generation—it's not just like we're not siloed in this understanding of technology and innovation." And and then I was like, "I have to have you on." So. Do you want to start with just a basic, and you can use an analogy or whatever you want, but for you, what is Web3? Let's see, where do I start? So I, you know, and I think we were, we were talking about this in our, our prep conversation about like how our personal stories are a little bit tied into this transition from Web2 to Web3, which I think makes people like you and I more fervent advocates of the shift in um, not only technology, but I think the shift in culture and the trends that that's yielding. So my quick recap of my story is I, uh, I was unhappy at my last job. I worked in advertising, traditional ad agencies for almost uh, 10 years, just brand strategy, account management work. And uh, the pandemic kicked me out of New York City, landed me at my parents, my folks' place on Long Island. So luckily, you know, I, I've been able to spare myself some rent payments. But I took a, I took some time off when I left my last job, and I I forgot what day it was. I think it was one of these days where nothing was going on. And I just I was somewhat familiar with crypto. I've I've been involved with Bitcoin for a few years, and that was always interesting. Um, but I didn't really get NFTs until about three months ago. I started seeing them pop up. I I made fun of them like everyone else. You know, I was like, this is ridiculous. This can't be a thing. This is the, all, all like the typical canned answers you hear, like this is a money grab. This is a Ponzi scheme, which is a funny term. I think people 
label something that they just aren't really willing to understand the mechanics of, which we can get into that later. But anyway, I went down the rabbit hole and I just like, my mind was just completely blown. And, you know, I, I studied, uh, liberal arts college. So I, I have a little bit of like a history, philosophy, um, art history background, in addition to brand strategy, which has been my career. I've always loved to write. And when I started learning about NFTs, specifically with the art movement, it just kind of all came together in my head. And, and basically not only any, everything I'm excited and passionate about, but everything I'm interested in. And as you know, um, once you dive a little deeper, there's much more than meets the eye with what's going on here. So I just sucked in as much information as I could. And I wrote an article three months ago, which it's crazy because it feels like three years called NFTs are worth understanding because that's really what, uh, <laughs> the more I learned, I was like, people don't, people aren't, I, I didn't get this and now I do. And no one is thinking about it with a more critical lens. And I just kind of saw this magnitude, this, you know, this iceberg approaching. Um, and I wanted to write about it. And I think people are so deep in this sometimes, like there's a lot of, I'm not going to call them crypto hardos because people would probably call me a crypto hardo, but I think sometimes you get so deep down um, the rabbit hole that you forget that you're not speaking English anymore when you're talking about it. And I think for me, having only been like freshly acclimated to this world, I was able to reprocess the information and regurgitate it in a way that made sense to like a friend that I would grab a couple beers with at a bar. And that's kind of the way I, I try to write is like an approachable, but informative explain it. Like I'm five is probably more like explain it. Like I'm 18, I think, because this is not easy stuff to understand. There's a lot of layers here you have to think about, but anyway, I posted that essay on my Substack and on Twitter and it kind of caught some legs. A few people retweeted it. And the next thing I knew I had like 7,000 views on it within a week. So very quickly, I was like, okay, I think I might have like a slightly new career direction here. And this is really cool. I'm more excited about this than anything I've ever been excited about in my career. And I'm going to keep going at it. So since then, I've, I've written more articles. I've tried to follow that theme of our worth understanding is worth understanding, I think is like a way I'm trying to figure out my own brand as a writer, but I think that's a trying to make some consistency in my articles. And the article you talked about, if you want me to give a little background for it, I learned, uh, I saw a tweet that Paul Krugman, who's an op-ed columnist at the New York Times had, this is right off the heels of NYC, and, or sorry, NFT, NYC, that might be the other way around, which I actually went to. And it was this like really cool event in New York. People were comparing it to the World's Fair. They were comparing it to previous big tech boom, Silicon Valley. So not only did you have this like exciting, innovative energy, but you also had like a return to New York City. And as a New Yorker, like it was just really cool to see like people back in Midtown and Times Square. And there was like this palpable creative and innovative energy. And I also think one thing you're probably catching on to is if you know anything about the NFT space, it's like a super positive, happy, apolitical community. And I think it's very attractive. Once you kind of get sucked into it, it's hard to not be like pumped about it because it, it represents a lot of different things. Obviously my story is a little more integrated because I, my career pivoted because of this, but I, I think that there's definitely some positive energy going on. And anyway, off the heels of this, Mayor-elect Adams, who's going to be the new mayor of New York City, tweeted that he'd be accepting his first three paychecks in Bitcoin. And um, New York would be a hub of blockchain innovation. And this is in contrast to 
Suarez is doing this in Miami. Um, I think Austin's making some headlines. So it was kind of this cool moment of him as a politician. He was like, you know what? New York is going to be a player in this. So naturally I'm fired up about that. And then I saw this tweet that Paul Krugman, who's a economist and op-ed journalist at the New York Times just retweeted and said, we're doomed, period. And I, I was just kind of like, what, <laughs> how, like, I understand their skepticism as with any new exciting innovation, but like, we're doomed. Like that, after what we just went through with COVID and the state of affairs in our country, like this seems like a really cool, positive thing. If you start thinking about it and understanding it, I ended up going back and I found uh, an article about when um, an early automotive inventor, Alexander Winton, described, look back on the first wave of automobiles in the United States and how there was like a serious amount of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt for anyone who doesn't understand that term or doesn't know what it is. And it was just this really interesting light bulb moment in my head where I was like, people literally, they, they, they so badly couldn't understand the idea of a car or an automobile that they called it a horseless carriage because they couldn't even in their heads, their mental models wouldn't even allow them to accept the fact that it could be something on its own that would advance society. So I wrote an essay that kind of, that's the essay that you read that I, I kind of compared it to that period and how Thomas Edison, coincidentally enough, basically was the one that was like, no, this is going to be, this is going to be a game changer and it's going to improve the economy by adding new means of values, new means of production. And, you know, the water is going to collectively rise because of it. So I just think that perspective is super important right now because I wasn't expecting as many people to be kind of freaked out about this as they are. And I think it's just good historical perspective to understand that, like, look, it's natural to be a little uh, skeptical of innovation, but that doesn't mean you should be afraid of it. I think embracing it has historically always um, proven to be the right way to look at it. There was a TED talk and I forget, actually, it's so crazy how when we listen to something, we maybe, you know, we'll listen to an hour long podcast or listen to a TED talk or we'll even watch a movie. And in 10 years, I'll ask you about that. I'll say, Nick, hey, do you remember that? You're like, oh, yeah, you're going to remember one nugget. So there's one nugget of a TED talk. And the guy was talking about innovation. The whole thing was about innovation. But his first thing was talking about how in the late 1900s, so like 1890, 1880, there were all these city planners in New York City. And they were freaking out because they realized the population was booming. More immigrants were coming over from Europe. People were having a bunch of kids. And they were like, if the population continues by 1910 or 1920, I forget exactly like the projection. They were more worried about the buildup of horse feces in New York City in the yeah. five boroughs yep. than they were about anything else. Because they were like, mm -hmm. we're going to need this many horses to carry this many carriages to move people from A to B. Because they couldn't yep. in their mind's eye have considered a subway or a car. Because those right. things, like you said, in their mental right. model literally didn't exist. Yep. And I feel like that's where we are now with Web3, with NFTs, with the metaverse as it is slowly growing. And when I say mm -hmm. slowly, I mean, it's coming at the speed of light. <clears throat> the fact that Facebook just changed its name to Meta. Yep. That to me is so important because it's like, we fear what we don't know. And I got to believe yeah. that that's some animal instinct. You know, if you and I are walking home- yeah. And there's this long hundred yard dark alley. We can barely see the light at the end. It's like, do we really want to go down there? Or we could yeah. go through this lit path that we've right. been through a hundred times. Right. You know, even if the light at the end is something new that could change human history, we're like, you know, we're going to take this lit path. And so I think it's very 
human nature for us to fear things that we don't understand. But I'm hoping though, that it's not at a point like Paul Krugman where it's so dark and we're doomed. And that I think once you kind of get in it and you get around it, you realize that there's just so much positivity and that's a really beautiful thing. Like the episode I did with Brendan, the episode that this is super meta because we're talking about it, but the episode we're (laughs) recording now, we don't really know each other, but we're all part of this new digital ecosystem, which is trying to, in many ways, real life dream about what the future could be. And for you with Web3, what's something that you think that is going to be really difficult for us to get our minds around, even in two years or three years? Like evolution is natural, right? Like an adaptation is natural. And I think it's okay to be afraid of something that's new, but I also think it's worth meditating and contemplating on like the state of things and why this is now being, you know, like the, the cliche that necessity is the mother of invention. I mean, I think what happened is for most of us who worked, let's say business, the average business job that you were all of a sudden, you know, you know, we used to go to offices every day and we used to, that was, we used to socialize with people. And then all of a sudden that became, no, you're actually working from your small apartment every day on Zoom and Slack with just the people you work with. And this is indefinite. And we're not sure when this is going to end. I think a lot of people are still like, kind of like clawing back for that. And, you know, I hate to burst the bubbles, but like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going back to a five day a week office job. I wouldn't work at a company that would ask me to come back for five days. And I don't think a lot of people would. I think a lot of people who have been working remotely for two years, even if they think they want to go back, all of a sudden going back to an office every day using public bathrooms. Yeah, sure. Like a few, the hybrid models I think will emerge. And I think that's a good thing. And I, I would like to go to an office a few days a week if I can. My point being like, I think a lot of people, including myself, were like, I'm not really okay with, with this. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I need more than this. And what's amazing about what's happening with Web3, you know, and you and I connecting and having this conversation is like a literal product of this is all of a sudden, like people started connecting with each other all over the world and Slack and Teams went to Discord. And if you haven't been on Discord yet, I'd say the the best way I describe it is it's like a digital house party where you show up and the people that are there are already pretty like-minded and, and, friendly and you're bouncing around to different rooms and having conversations and sharing ideas outside of your network of where you went to school or who you might have worked with you know in your 20s or 30s or even 40s and and because what's powerful about that if you ask you I know you asked me earlier like what do you think is going to be the hardest thing for people to wrap their heads around I think identity is evolving I think this this idea of like okay, LinkedIn profile, your face, where you went to school, what jobs you worked, what degrees you have, like these are exterior qualities and accomplishments and you you have totems of achievements throughout your life. But I think a lot of people, they want, they, they don't feel like they're, that expresses who they are enough, right? Like it kind of, kind of confines them. And I think the cool thing about digital ownership and if you want to call it digital fashion, you can be whoever you want to be you could express yourself however you want to express yourself. And, you know, there's some pretty serious players in the space right now who are completely pseudonymous. So you don't know who they are. They're there. They have a crypto punk. I mean, punk uh, six, five, two, nine. He's like writing these like 
almost like Thomas Paine like essays about this movement. And it's fascinating. And, and he has just all the respect someone else would have, but it's this idea that maybe that's who he feels more like than maybe he's not someone who's comfortable with the way he looks, or he's not someone who is the most social person in real life, but he's able to unlock this part of himself that's now contributing to society. And you take that a step further, even less and less like vanity layer, right? Like think about what this does for people in third world countries, you know, and I'm sure this stuff, you know, there's naturally like, like a lot of people I think are quick to be like, this is a money grab. Like this is, why would you spend money on a JPEG? This is for wealthy people, right? Like that's a, again, that's like a quick, I think human instinct to kind of reject the things that you haven't taken the time to understand yet and appreciate and maybe try out and get involved in. But if you're a developer from India, who's good, no one needs to know you're from India, right? So you should be able to get paid just as much as someone from the United States. I mean, I went to Brazil, I traveled to Brazil for a friend's wedding a couple of years ago and met these just wonderful people. And we had some great conversations about, they were saying like how lucky we are in the States to make the GDP that we're making, right? Like the US dollar is powerful. And that's kind of unfair. I mean, I love America, right? Like I'm proud of my country. And the better way, I guess, to frame this is someone who was born in Brazil. They didn't choose to get paid in Brazilian dollars versus American dollars. And if they're good at what they do and they have something to offer society, like they should be able to get compensated the same way. And I think this Web3 movement and crypto and being able to do something pseudonymously and like you can unlock that. The Have you ever used the app Fiverr? Yeah. Yeah. So Fiverr, I got on there because I needed a logo. This is like, I don't know, a year ago. And I forget exactly what it was. I needed a logo for something or I needed some image and I couldn't do it on my normal products because I just don't have the, I don't have Adobe or whatever I would need. And I got on Fiverr and it was amazing to see people from all around the world who are tapping in essentially to Fiverr, which I think is at least what, what I could see was fairly, obviously because I was in the States at the time, I think it was fairly dominated by graphic designers from the States. But when you took out English as being like your primary thing. Like there were, there were people on Fiverr who were, you know, designing from other parts of the world, but the second you change it, uh, cause I speak Spanish and I'm from Colombia. So the second I changed it, oh, yeah, that's right. it was insane to see that there was like some guy in Chile who would do my logo, you know, for like 10 bucks yeah. because maybe that would be a big deal for him. And that's just an example. The Chilean economy is actually really strong comparatively in South America, yeah. but I do think the internet kind of started to level the playing field a little bit, but I think web three is going to really play a role. Like you said, with the identity, because even with web two, someone may be able to figure out where you're from, what you look like or whatever it is, whatever you're selling, or even on Fiverr for that example, when you have to create a profile, cause it's kind of like Airbnb for services. Web three is completely, you can be as anonymous as you want to be. There are, you know, one of the biggest guys in crypto plan B, I don't know who he is. He always wears the same stuff and he kind of does this, you know, no one knows who he is. And I think that that's part, uh, part and parcel of, of his gig is that he's not tied to any country. He's not, I know he's European, but he's not tied to any one country. So you can't just put him in a box. You don't know. He doesn't really ever speak about politics. He's just speaking about the space and where it's going and, thinking about identity and you moved back in with your parents and I've had a similar shift of as I've come back into my, my parents' home or the, or the house where I was raised in my mid thirties, how has 
the shift during COVID, your dive and your delve into Web3, coming home in, in many ways we could call it. How like what is Nick's future identity on Web3 that maybe wouldn't have been there pre-pandemic? And this could be a good question for anyone because I think we've all changed 10 years in the last two years. For me, it's unlocked time. And I, I, I've really been able to get obsessive about this stuff because I just think it's fascinating. And I, I, you know, I've been able to write about it. And this is work I've been doing for myself. And I've been self-motivated to do it. And I don't think I would have done that had the pandemic not happened. I probably would have stayed at the agency I was at and, and worked my way up. And I think what's happening now is the internet is massive, right? There's like a small percentage of people on the internet is still a massive number of people. So you can find a market for however you want to productize yourself. And I think one of the coolest, I, I, I read a, one of this like life-changing book I read that really kind of started me on this track. It's a book called The uh, Almanac of Naval Ravikant. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but- I am um, not, this thing, I, check I, it out. I described it in my uh, one of my essays. I, I wrote an essay on a Web3 designer named Jack Butcher, who's doing just some really cool stuff in the space right now. I'm actually wearing his, his Wagby hoodie right now. But it's all about Naval's, he's basically like a modern day philosopher. He was, an, he founded AngelList and he's just super, super wise and distilled a lot of his thinking down into this book. Someone actually did it on his behalf. But his whole thing is that everyone has specific knowledge, whether they think they do or not. Like everyone's life experience and things they've learned and the struggles they've had and the achievements they've had. And it all comes together to, give you something that that's unique that only you can offer to the world and once you kind of find that you can you know theoretically make a living doing it and it's just about how you can do that so anyway this book is kind of like a step-by-step guide for like how to unlock your specific knowledge and market it and use the internet as like a leverage platform to get your get your work out there. And for me, I think I was joking with you when we chatted earlier, like I'll post my essays because when you're trying to get your stuff out, as you know, you'll post it anywhere and everywhere. You know, I'll post my essays that, uh, the same essays that get 6,000 views on my Substack will get like 21 likes <laughs> on Instagram. Um, and that's nothing against, like, I'm sure people I went to high school and college where they're kind of like, oh God, like Nick won't shut up about Web3 and NFTs, like enough already. Um, and I don't blame them for that, but I think that's beside the point. The point is like, I am finding people online through putting my name and my work out there that are attracted to it and interested in it. And then just like you and I are, I have started this conversation. And I think that's really, really cool. I think, I think people who haven't experienced that yet. And part of the reason I'm so passionate and, you know, just excited about this. Cause like I'm experiencing it in real time. Like I don't, as a writer, I don't have to go try to crack myself into like the New York times or the New Yorker or you know, one of these prestigious newspapers. Like if I want to get my stuff read, if anyone out there is a writer and has ideas and wants, has an opinion on something that they feel like sharing, like just get a sub stack and start posting it. And if it's decently good, I'm sure you have to work on it. You have to work on the craft, but if it's, if it's good enough, people will read it. You know, it's so if you if you figure out a way to leverage Twitter and leverage Facebook, actually I deleted Facebook. I didn't mean to, you know, my 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 point is like any of these platforms, you could leverage your networks and then you could all of a sudden like Twitter is an open network, which means you don't have to be connected with people 
do DM them or be retweeted by them. So that's what happened with one of my essays. I, I, it was retweeted and all of a sudden, like, it was just like this viral effect people I weren't even connecting with. And that, that was like, that's an amazing thing, man. You know, like you can, you can boost yourself out of these networks that you think are limited and there's billions of people in the world. I don't use Twitter. It's actually like, I know it's one of the biggest platforms for crypto and I need to just kind of get on there more because I'm always seeing cool stuff. But I did tweet at Saifedean Amos, the guy who wrote the Bitcoin standard. And I just said like, thank you, Dr. Amos, whatever from yeah. the universe. And it got retweeted like a hundred times. Yeah. And before I ever had just one like. And so I think the crypto community is really interesting. Um, the NFT, Web3, th this whole ecosystem is interesting because we're leveraging Web2 to kind of talk about Web3. Sure. And that's a well, weird some, thing. Some, uh, yeah. And some like Twitter is definitely leaning into it. Twitter is, is cool. Twitter is super leaning into it. And Jack Dorsey just left Twitter. He did. And yeah. He changed Square to Block because I think he's just going to totally turn that into a, probably a competing thing of Facebook. And if we could, I actually want you to speak about why you deleted your Facebook. Is that part and parcel of this, this journey, <laughs> this adventure? No, I actually deleted my Facebook. I think it was like three years ago now. And I still have Instagram. So like, I'm not like a full on like anti Zuckerberg maximalist, but uh, to be honest with you, I think it was during the election season. I was just getting a little sick of seeing like the uh, people I didn't care for their political opinions plastering all over my all over my feed I was just like what am I looking at and that's I've worked in advertising for eight years and I understand the mechanics of um I've learned the mechanics of you know the way these platforms generate ad revenue and the way they do it it's always funny for me when I hear people say like oh nfts are money grabs or crypto is a money grab I think most people don't realize that, you know, Facebook made $48 billion in ad revenue last year. And I think Google made 54, maybe don't quote me on those numbers, but they're, they're close. And so if you think about that, 48 billion and 50, 54 billion, right? So you're talking, you're talking a hundred billion dollars of ad revenue. Okay. The reason why they can do that is because it's a free product. So over 20 years, I mean, I think how long, how old is Facebook now? It's not 20 years. Sorry. It's 2004. So a little bit less than 20 years. Okay. Yeah. I think. So yeah. 2004 seems right. 2004 does seem right. So, okay. Let's say 15, 16 years, um, Google, probably similar track, all these fan companies. That's 15 years of product iteration and feature rollout and like extremely elegant user experience. Okay. So the reason why Facebook and Instagram and Twitter for anyone who doesn't know and Google are free is because they're mo they monitor your behavior and then they target ads at you. And it's increasingly over the, it's in the last 10 years has become like, if you want to market a product, like you have to advertise it on, on Facebook or Google. Right. Um, so they're just, crushing it and they have all these data points on on everyone that uses it so they know exactly what you want to see and the problem is I, I don't think i don't think facebook like i don't think mark zuckerberg is evil i think that's like a a little bit of a dramatic opinion to take but i think what is wrong is the ad incentivized models okay so these business models are incentivized based on advertising and what that does is that makes everything bleed it leads headline, right? Like if you if you look at the Twitter sidebar every day, it's always just like ridiculous headlines, right? Like John Mulaney relapsed from Coke and 
some scary headline about COVID, right? And, and that's not, I'm not saying it's not, there's not reality to that, to that stuff, but they're incentivized to get you to read it. So when it's incentivized to get you to read it, it sacrifices the quality of the content and the journalistic integrity for something that's going to just keep your eyeballs on it so you can see ads. And I don't think a lot of people understand the extent of how like ingrained that is in our culture. And what's really interesting about Web3 is when you remove that dynamic, when you remove the ad incentivized platform model, these advertisers and brands, like they have to add value to get you to notice them. So instead of extracting value, they have to add it. So that maybe could be in the form of a partnership or a community engagement tool or innovation. Like Chris Dixon had a great tweet. Chris Dixon, if your listeners aren't familiar, he's a general partner at Andreessen Horowitz. So he's kind of like the tip of the spear in the tip of the spear in terms of like a venture capitalist in web three. He just, he's, he's a brilliant guy. I mean, I recommend anyone like read his blog um, and he's, he's all over this need a great tweet, like brand advertising. So like Bud Light, right. Or let's take like, I used to work for progressive insurance for years at Arnold worldwide in Boston, great agency, uh, great team. So this is no way belittling their work, but the reason why you see so many ads for Geico and, progressive and Bud Light and Miller Light is because it's all like the same tier product. And for Budweiser, at least it's, it's light beer. So they have to pump advertising to get you to think about what decision you want to make to buy it. And what Chris Dixon said is like, man, I wonder what would happen if instead of all this money going to brand advertising, it went to innovation and R&D. And if that happens on scale, things will get better and improve or like products will, I think, improve rather than being in this feedback loop of like, we're going to blow 40% of our budget on advertising. Talking about ads in web three and just where we are currently with Instagram or Facebook is actually really fascinating because our generation, when I say our generation, we're both thirties, younger thirties. Uh-huh. I'm kind of mid thirties. Unfortunately, I hate to admit it, but I'm getting there. You're getting there. Cool. So the millennium, I'm going to say anyone under 40, and people over 40, I just have seen it a lot more with people under 40, we're cutting the cable. We're just using streaming yeah, services and that's it because we don't want to deal with ads. Right. And when I think about when I got on Facebook in 2005, when I was a freshman in college, it was super cool. And why was it cool? Yeah. Because it was an exclusive place and it was with people that I was kind of like-minded with. But now that I'm on Instagram, and if you're on Instagram, open up your phone, you can listen to the podcast and be on Instagram, just start scrolling. If you're on your feed, every third or fourth image or fourth or, you know, it's between three and five and they vary it every day is an ad. So that's yeah. 20 or 25% yeah. of what you're looking at is ads and you're choosing to look at those ads. Right. And I started to think about that more critically the other day. Cause I'm like, wow, why do I not like watching TV anymore? When I say TV, I mean cable because of all the ads. I don't want to yeah. hear about this new medicine they're putting out or state farm insurance or progressive insurance, or like you said, the new lightest beer, whatever it is, like zero calorie water. I just don't care. Like it's just, it's just, it's not moving the dial for me. So now I'm looking at this social media being Instagram and I'm like, this is, I really like this. I've met a lot of people on this. I leverage it to meet people. I invite people from the pod on this, just like I found you on, on LinkedIn. But I'm already excited for the web three social media that you're talking about, where it's like, no, you have to create value to constantly yeah. get eyeballs, but not in a way that's 
driven by ad revenues, because I just sure. think that we know that that's super toxic. There is enough information out there. Facebook has said, this is addicting stuff. It's not good for younger age kids. It's not good for people's self-esteem. And mm-hmm. so can you talk more about what web three social media could look like? Yeah. And you start, I had a post, I, I got myself a, one of those doodles. I missed the boat on the board apes and crypto punks, unfortunately, but you know, I've been kind of, as I get more ingrained, you start to notice like, you know, the, the brands that are emerging and it's really cool. And I think what, what, what people, what I, what I hope people understand about NFTs is like, it's, it's less about the actual image you're getting and more about the community you're joining in getting this, this JPEG, right? So this is like basically your access key to this network and this network, you know, network effects, just as everyone knows, based on social media, like it's powerful. And the other thing to go back to Facebook and Instagram for a second is this idea of like a blue check mark, right? Does anyone know how they decide to give like how like the parameters of how they give blue check marks right like i don't know i mean i guess like instagram and facebook and twitter have teams of people and if you maybe get a certain amount of followers or a committee feels like you're ready for your blue check mark you you get it it's just kind of ridiculous that we've accepted that like and everyone of course everyone it's oh somebody's a blue check mark wow like you know they messaged me and i i got someone it's, it's very absurd when you think about it and what's very cool about NFTs, I think, is uh, you get to take the control back of your own verification. So one of the reasons I joined this, I bought one of these doodles is because I just, it, it just seemed like a very creative community. Like they like, I like what they're doing with the assets and the brand, the ways they're extending it and growing it, the partnerships they're forming. And as someone who's a writer in the space, I want to do signal do this group because look this is status signal like don't get me wrong like it's art but it's and it's investing don't let anyone tell you otherwise like no one wants to buy an nft and see the price go down because they like the piece of digital art right like it's about equity but it's also about like being able to signal to a certain group of people that you pick hey i want i want to be part of this like this is cool i like what you guys are doing and going back to my comment before like I don't necessarily want to fit in with people on Instagram who are going to Hawaii every other month and posting pictures in five-star resorts. Like that doesn't, that doesn't matter to me. Like what matters to me is like people who are creative and trying to like think about different ways that like we could work uh, culture and society and, and there's interesting philosophy there. So for me, that's like the power of, you talk about like a social media web three, it's you get to decide what groups you want to be in and out of based on your interest and based on what you're good at based on what you like okay it's not a one-size-fits-all thing and i think people are so quick to say like oh yeah flashy jpegs like you don't have anything better to spend your money on and it's it's just a lot more than that especially if you're a creative person and you want to be involved with a certain like cohort of creative types this gives you a really cool way to do it what are you hoping as far as the utility essentially that you get the social utility and social currency that you get from the doodle what's the roadmap of that project that you're super excited about yeah doodles is interesting because they have something called a doodle bank so it's a community bank right of like i mean these projects are sitting pretty good right now because they they increased in value and what's so cool is i was able to get in my i think i bought my doodle at like 0.7 eth 
And I remember thinking, I remember in NFT NYC, like so three or four people told me like, dude, this project's awesome. It's led by a good team. You can, the team's transparent. They're, they're doxxed, which means they use their real name. So you can like see, uh, there's all these little, this might be a, a conversation. I know you got into this with Brendan a little bit, but like there's these parameters you start to pick up on for like how to like measure up a project. A few people that I just went to talks to over that week, like mentioned doodles. And I was like, okay, this seems like, this seems like one that is worthwhile getting into, is worth getting into. And uh, part of what's cool is they have this bank. So they have this treasury and in that treasury as a member, depending on how many doodles you have. And again, this goes back to like, uh, I, I like to refer to NFTs as expressive forms of equity. Like I basically have a share in this brand and this brand now has this decent piggy bank of money to like explore. They just did a cool activation with like a famous mural artist for the Art Basel in Miami, you know, and then that's a way to extend the brand. And they're bringing on animators. They're probably going to try to like, I'm, I'm guessing they'll probably try to pitch some networks or maybe some like pilot ideas for a show based around this universe of characters. So that's really interesting because if all of a sudden like, and I'm just like spitballing here, if Netflix, if they, if they brought in, so let's say Doodles has, I'm just throwing out like $5 million worth of ETH, which I, I think it's probably a lot more than that, but I'm just throwing that number out as like a, as like a fun thing to play with. They now can go out and seek creators and artists and showrunners and, and, and writers to pitch this stuff and elevate it. Right. Whereas before, if you're trying to uh, start a cartoon on a tv network or grow a brand you have like it's like a hail mary pass right and you 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 hope that you have like one pilot maybe you have one sketch artist but now there's some like gas in the tank to extend this thing and as a member i get to vote on these on these brand initiatives and that's pretty cool i think you just talked about when you you know because you're a creative i consider myself a creative in the sense that we are creating and the idea of the artist, and I think this goes back literally to your the city we're just living in, the starving artist, the idea of sure. if you want to be creative, that's fine. But in the capitalist structure, you don't have a place to then make value and then have a maybe have a life of, quote, finer things or whatever that looks like. Or you're just going to be struggling from you know rent to rent. And I do think in this new creator economy where you can totally put out a bunch of tokens, create a community, and then have some liquidity, like you're saying, to then make actual moves. That to me is super exciting. And super exciting. this is a whole different thing that I didn't think I was going to get into on this pod, but I run a soccer podcast as well. And I've been thinking about this for Wi-Fi is Water, but with the soccer podcast, we're thinking about creating a token and putting it up and getting people to buy in. And then every month there's giveaways and every month they get something new. And every year we do a trip around the world and we buy tickets to the games. And if you're part of the community, you get a ticket to the game. And we're going to go to like Turkey to see a game. We're going to go to Brazil to see a game. And this was just something I was floating Killer with. Idea. Yeah. Yes, it was something I was floating with my buddy, Jeff, because soccer is a global language and I can go anywhere, put the ball down and kick it with somebody. And we don't really need yeah. to talk. So we're trying to see how we leverage that. Well, look at that. Like you, you're able to incorporate your values and community and able to support yourself. And so think about what that does though. Like, I think this is what's so amazing about what you just said, because I agree with you. Like, this is the first time in my life I've been able to be like, wow, I can actually make a living doing what I really want to do. Okay. Because I didn't, as much as I like kind of convinced myself, I like advertising and I did, 
I didn't. People, I wait, didn't. wait. People can't see your 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 like fist bumped. You're like Captain America. Oh, yeah. fist bump. Sorry, I'm making <laughs> making, making uh, pedantic gestures. Um, no, it was good. It was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you have a community and like if you're a creator, you can. And this Chris Dixon wrote an essay about this um, called NFTs and a thousand true fans. I'll, I'll send it to you. I think I think it hits on exactly what you just just said. The creator can now monetize with their fans, right? So if like if Jared, if I've if I've known you for 10 years and I know you how much you love soccer, you, you know, football and believe in it and you speak the language, like I will want to support you um, because I know you're passionate about it. And I, I I'm essentially betting on you and seeding you. And if your passion project takes off, now all of a sudden that token I bought, then maybe I spent, maybe I paid uh you know, $200 for it or $400 for like the first tier. And I'm able to get all these cool things. Well, if you blow up as a creator and a thought leader in this space, all of a sudden that token's value is going to rise, right? So someone who has equity in you, they, they can, they can sell that. And, and that's an investment. And by the way, when they sell it built into the smart contract, through solidity on the Ethereum blockchain, like you get a kickback of it, like whatever they sell it for. So it's not like someone's going to the second, they can't go to a second secondary market. Well, actually, sorry, they can, they can sell it on a secondary market, but even if it's on a secondary market, you might say, hey, you know what? Like I get 5% royalty, okay, indefinitely. So that means it can be sold two, three, four, five times. And this is happening with artists. I mean, this, this stuff is changing people's lives in who are artists. You know, you should you should see. I'm sure you're already noticing some of it, but like it's amazing to see see it ha- what's happening on Twitter and in these spaces. Artist who has a, an aesthetic and a perspective, all of a sudden is now doing this with their life, and not you know the starving artist. Like that that idea. It's like the world, uh, and this is part of why I've been compelled to be so like involved with this stuff. It's like who doesn't think the world like needs more art and creativity, right? Like it seems like we are lacking in that, if anything. So I think I would ask people to just think more broadly about the mechanics of this and less, you know, kind of do circle back to the first part of this conversation. Like just don't be so quick to be cynical about something that is in real time, empowering a lot of artists and creators do like put, including me, put their, work out in the world. Focusing more on just the idea of web three, where is it currently? Cause I feel like from my own life engaging with, I think where it's, where it is and where it's going, I feel like I'm in web 2.5 because yeah. I'm not yet in this, you know, ready player one world where I'm wearing Oculus and you and I are hanging out at a coffee shop talking about stuff mm-hmm. in the metaverse. I'm talking to you on discord and we're part of a community because we own a token together that we bought on OpenSea. And then I meet up with you downtown New York and we go to a festival that we can only get into because now we are members of this community token. So I feel like it's like 2.5 because it's still IRL. Or it's like in real life, yeah. but it's leveraging. What <laughs> it is, is it's kind of like leveraging technology to have a heightened experience in real life. Does that make yep. any sense? That's a really great way to put it. And I think a lot of people, again, are missing the forest for the trees with this. It's like the board ape JPEG itself, like, sure, that's, it's a flex, right? That's like a, that's like wearing a Rolex, but what it gets you is like, gets you to do some sweet parties, man, <laughs> you know, like, and some cool, uh, some cool networking events. And all of a sudden you're, you're meeting and collaborating with people that you would have never had the chance to before. 
I totally agree with you about like the web 2.5 thing. I think people think the metaverse is going to be like one day we're going to like enter like ready player one. And it's going to be like, you're never going to go outside and see the sun again. And like, it's, I think that's, what's freaking people out. And guess what? Like, yeah, there, there is some reality to the fact that a lot of people will be more comfortable online and there's going to be repercussions of that, but were there not repercussions of like the total transcendence of social media in all of our lives? Did that not yield like political division? Did that not yield like consumerism insecurity because people are getting targeted on stuff they don't need? Like, you know, again, like evolution and tech technological advancements, like it's never a linear path. Like there's always going to be roadblocks and there's going to be get rich quick schemes and there's greed, like greed's a real thing. Right. But there's also like, like hope is a real thing too. And like, I think if you err on the side of that, there's a lot of like really beautiful things happening here. And just to go back to the web 2.5 thing, like I, I think we're, people don't understand that we're already living in the metaverse. Like we're all that's spending what, that's what hours I was gonna say. a day. Hours. Like everyone check your, check your phone time or like just even if you work on a computer, like most of us do, like you're online, like you're living online for a good portion of your day. Okay. So we can make that better. We should make that better. I think. And I think that's what's really kind of cool and compelling about this. Like, and it's just like all of a sudden, you know, the iPhone came out, like, uh, you know, I've read the, one of my favorite books is the Steve Jobs biography because he saw what this could do to like bring out, like I, he, he saw what technology and like making computers user-friendly and fashionable, which Steve Jobs did. He saw how that could be like an accelerant for like human potential, Right. So like, that's a really cool idea and concept. And I think that's what like any good technology should enable. And I think that's what this is going to enable. So sure, there, there's going to be cynicism and like things that are going to be weird at first, right? Just like the internet was weird when it came out, you know, just like the iPhone was weird. I remember, I remember still, it's so funny, uh, Jared. I remember I got a iPhone. I was like the first one of my friends in college to get an iPhone. And I remember they used to make fun of me because I'd be like, hey, can you pass my iPhone? And they'd be like, oh, your iPhone? You want your iPhone? Like they were like giving me shit because like I had this new thing. And it was like, of course, like the first instinct is like, let's make fun of it. Right. But all of a sudden, you know, I made fun of AirPods when they first came out. I remember being like, man, you're, you're real. Like no one likes people wearing AirPods. Like that's kind of a cocky thing. And I love my AirPods now. Like I, they're awesome. Right. So I think this is just patterns and influxes and it's just progress. And I think there's going to be a lot of like, you're, you're like, I don't know, your soccer community being able to do that and, and bring people in who are passionate about that. And then like, that's, that's just a really cool, beautiful idea that would just add goodness <laughs> to the world, you know? So. Yeah. Cause yeah. the soccer community, I feel like is right there. It's 2.5. We're using web two to access kind of the web three tools that we're going to need in web three, but we don't have, like you said, we're not going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be like, all right, let's totally chill in the metaverse using Oculus goggles and sit around and like, I'll go play you in pool and we'll bet, you know, I'll bet you a doge or something. I beat you, right. I'll <laughs> yeah. bet you like 25 cents yeah. of doge or whatever that is. And I just don't see that happening. And to go back to actually your Substack article, and this is the tweet that you have in the Substack, and I'll let you talk about your Substack in a minute. Yeah. It's the tweet from Chris Dixon. It says the typical path of how people respond to life changing events. The first one is I've never heard of it. Then it's I've heard of it, but I don't understand it. Then it's I understand, but I don't see how it's useful. Then it's I see how it could be fun for rich people, but just not me. Then I use it, 
but it's just a toy. Then it's becoming more useful for me. Then I use it all the time. Then I could not imagine life without it. And finally, seriously, people lived without it. And I have to say, I have seen that myself with smartphones. Uh, I don't own AirPods yet, but I could understand it. I felt the same way. I was like, that looks super weird. It looks like the Joaquin Phoenix movie, I believe is called Her, where he's talking to his blue, you know, he's talking to his earpiece all day. And then he ends up falling in love. And he has like this whole actual like metaverse relationship with someone who's just in his head. It's like a program. And I was like, oh, that's way too futuristic. And now I'm like looking online. I'm like, I think it's time for me to buy some AirPods because I'm sick and tired of the cable. I need to cut the cable in all aspects oh, of my cut life. Cut the cable, cut the cord, man. I got to cut the cord. Um, yeah. Can you go ahead and shout at your Substack because I've been reading it a lot recently as I was getting ready for the call. And because cool. before we were just on LinkedIn and so I wasn't, but if you want to shout at your Substack, that would be great. And so that way people know where they can find you. Sure. My uh, Substack is just my first and last name, nickwidmer.substack.com. I call it firstborn because I'm, uh, I'm the firstborn in my, my family, but I also think there's something, this cool idea of like rebirth and like kind of stepping into this new world, uh, which kind of like I thematically wrap my brand around. Um, and my intersect, the, the area I focus my writing on is the intersection of web three art and consciousness, because I think a lot of interesting stuff as um, you know, we just talked about is happening around, um, around this space. And I think it's really exciting and it's cool to follow. And, you, you know, I, I'd advise anyone just, just be curious, uh, you know, I'm going to quote Ted Lasso here, which be curious, not judgmental. And um, you might, uh, you might be, you might surprise yourself with, the people you get to meet, the the things you can be interested in, what you read. I mean, I've just, you know, even like just being immersed in this, like I, I've learned so much about art and uh, economics and business that like I, I wouldn't have learned otherwise and community and all sorts of stuff. And it's really interesting. I think, again, the I think this is connecting people more than it's disconnecting people. Well, thank you for joining. And we're definitely going to stay in touch and uh, have a good night. Yeah, Jared, that was awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode and be sure to check out Nick's Substack to read more of his future-focused content. His work can be found at nickwidmer.substack.com. I'll leave a link to his Substack via the link on our Instagram page, so be sure to check it out there. As always, please be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to the pod and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube at Wi-Fi and Water Podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next episode. Hey, it's Jared again. The episode you just listened to was originally recorded under the podcast's first name, Wi-Fi and Water. So please disregard those follow shoutouts and be sure to follow us on social media under our newly rebranded name, More Than Blockchain. And be sure to subscribe to the pod wherever you're listening to it. Thanks for checking out this episode and I'll see you next time.